All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the second letter of Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. And just to set that in context, we need to recall where we're at in the large picture of 2 Corinthians, as well as what specifically is happening here. And so in the large context of 2 Corinthians, we're in the second major part of the letter. The first major part goes from chapters 1 through 7, focuses on Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, the nature of his ministry, why it looks the way it does, all of that uh, that leads up to an appeal for them to open up their heart to Paul. And then beginning in chapter 8 and then here into chapter 9, we get that second major part of the letter where Paul then focuses on a very specific, tangible project that he's been working on, that the Corinthians themselves had said they wanted to be a part of, but they've tabled that in view of the relational dysfunction, and Paul is encouraging them to get back at it as a concrete way of really reconciling themselves to him and his ministry. This is something that's important to him and his ministry, and so he's urging them to get back at it. And so here in Chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, Paul continues his instructions about this project. And that project is a collection for the Christians in and around the city of Jerusalem, Jewish Christians. And so a Gentile church in a major Gentile city collecting funds to send to brothers and sisters in Christ uh, miles and miles and miles away, probably people they'll never meet but people who have a desperate need and who have the same faith as they do. And this is not only a financial benefit, this is also creates some unity. And so Paul's working really hard on this amongst all his churches. And so in chapter 8, Paul wrote to inspire them and appeal to them to that regard. He also introduced the small delegation that he's sending their way to Corinth to help organize the collection among them. That's Titus and two unnamed brothers. So here in chapter 9, he, in the first little bit, verses 1 through 5, Paul explains why he sent Titus and those two unnamed brothers before he himself comes. So he explains their purpose and what uh, their role is going to be. And then in the second half of chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, what Paul does is he provides a God-centered perspective on this offering, this collection for the Jerusalem Christians. And so Paul opens chapter 9, beginning where he left off in chapter 8 with Titus and the two unnamed brothers, and specifically here, their role. So he says, for it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. In other words, it's, it's redundant. Like, you know about this. Um, you were early adopters in this. That's what it means by su superfluous, all right? So it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, and the ministry to the saints is this collection, this offering. Saint simply means Christians, and specifically here, the Christians in uh, Jerusalem and Judea. And he, why is it superfluous? Well, he says in verse 2, For I know your willingness. It's redundant, superfluous, because I... I know how ready and willing you were, of which I boast about to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. And so Paul is saying that, as he noted in the last chapter, you guys were the first ones to want to do this and to jump on board and say yes to this project. And your willingness, your eagerness, your zeal has actually stirred up the Macedonians. Now recall, 
that Paul's writing this letter from Macedonia, and he's among them, he's talking to them, he's seen how they've been uh, inspired and challenged by the Corinthians' initial reception of this project and excitement for this project. And so Paul really is saying, look, I already know you're eager about this. I know you're interested in this. I know you desire this. I, I really don't need to say anything about it to you again. That's the point of it being superfluous. And just to help you out with the geography, there is a map in the study hub, specifically in the intro to 2 Corinthians section, that shows you where Macedonia is, where Achaia is, where Corinth fits into all that. And so that's available there in the study hub for you. But just know that Macedonia is the region north of Achaia. It's the region where Paul is at. Achaia is what is modern-day Greece, and that is where the city of Corinth is located. And the Corinthians and those in Achaia have been, he says, prepared since last year. That you guys have been working on this and talking about this since last year when Paul first started this project. That's what stirred up the Macedonians. And so Paul says in verse 3, but... Even though I shouldn't need to talk to you about it more, I know you're eager and willing about this. I have sent the brothers, he says in verse 3, that is Titus and those two unnamed brothers, in order that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you'll be prepared. So Paul sent them ahead before he himself comes so that the Corinthians can be prepared when they arrive, that they'll already have funds collected and that everything will be in order. So that's specifically the mission of Titus and these two other people is to help them uh, put things in order and get things ready before Paul and his team arrives. And why is that important? Well, Paul doesn't want what he has said about the Corinthians, his boasting about them to the Macedonians, to actually prove empty. Like if Paul shows up and he's got this whole entourage of people with him, representatives from various churches, including some from Macedonia, uh, and then he shows up and all of a sudden the Corinthians aren't ready, like that would not look good for anybody and it would be such a disappointment and such a dishonor. And so Paul says in verse 4, Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame by this confidence. So we've bragged about you. We've said how eager you were to get on board. That stirred up the Macedonians. And if we should show up and any Macedonians come with us, and we know from Acts chapter 20, verse 4, that some did. Paul is getting representatives from Macedonian churches as well. So they come, and then all of a sudden, we would all be put to shame. It would be a source of great shame and dishonor, which again, in an honor and shame culture, this is a big deal. It doesn't just mean we're embarrassed. It means we have actually brought shame on ourselves. We have been dishonored by this. You, your, the Corinthians would be dishonored by this. And this is a massive persuasive appeal in their cultural context. And so Paul says in verse 5, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers that they go on ahead to you and arrange in advance your previously promised generous gift so that the same would be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given due to greediness. Uh, just note there in that, obviously, we get what's going on, but that phrase generous gift literally is a blessing. Paul says, I want this to be given as a blessing. 
Like not something you have to do, not something that's right. Like, I just want this to be a blessing, giving this as a blessing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, um, this same idea is used to say that it would be a blessing to their fellow Christians in Judea. And so that's how they should give it. That should be the motivation and the manner in which they give is to be a blessing. And then he says, not with greediness. Now, this translation has supplied a whole bunch of extra words that aren't actually in the original to try to free that up. But literally all he says is not as greediness or not with greediness. Uh, and the word greediness here has the sense of stinginess. I don't want you to give this out of like stinginess, just dropping a little bit in because you have to and because you don't really want to. No, I want this to come from a heart of blessing. And so you give generously and eagerly. And so I've sent the brothers ahead to make sure that's what would happen. And it would all be ready when I show up with other folks, even those from Macedonia. And so having explained that uh, that some of those logistics and why this uh, small delegation is coming, Paul now is ready to move on and sort of give his final encouragement and appeal and instruction on this gift. And he does so by giving what I like to think of as a God-centered perspective on giving as a blessing, right? He wants this to be given as a blessing. So what does that look like? What does that mean? And what Paul provides is a God-centered perspective on giving. And so picking up in verse six, he says, now this I say, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will reap generously. And Paul is using the imagery of sowing and reaping. That is planting seeds and harvesting crops. And he just makes a simple and obvious observation. If you plant a few seeds, you're going to get only a few crops. But if you plant a lot of seeds, you're going to get a whole lot more crops. Reaping is directly proportional to sowing. That's the point of the imagery. Then he goes on and applies that to this project and their giving. He says in verse 7, Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice what Paul just said in verse 5 was, I want this to be given as a blessing, not from greediness, not with stinginess or greediness. And so he says, so what that requires of you is you each just need to uh, thoughtfully and deliberately and purposefully decide in your own heart, in your own will, in your own being, what you want to give. And don't do it reluctantly. So to give as a blessing means don't give reluctantly. To give as a blessing also means don't give under compulsion. So you're not going to do it begrudgingly or reluctantly. If I have to do it, I'll do it. You're not going to do it under compulsion as you're making me do this and I don't really want to. No, I want you to do it out of your the, the generosity of your own heart. So you decide in your own heart, you figure it out. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver, a giver who gives uh, voluntarily and freely and gladly to this project as a blessing. And guess what? God takes care of generous givers. And so Paul says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 
notice the emphasis in verse 8. In fact, it's even more clear in the Greek. You have all grace, always, all sufficiency, everything, every good deed. In the original language, all those words come from the exact same root word. And so it's really obvious the repetition of this idea of all, every, everything, always. Um, and Paul is saying that God is the abundant provider, and he's the one who can make all grace overflow to you. And in the middle, you get always, all sufficiency, everything. And the repetition of all of that is that they'll have enough for every good work. Rather than just to spend on their own comforts and their own pleasures, but they'll have enough for every good work, including this good work of giving to uh, your fellow believers here in Jerusalem and Judea. And so God is sufficient to make sure they have enough. So you decide in your heart what you think God has uh, granted you to give. You give it gladly and cheerfully, and God will make sure you have enough for every single good work. And then Paul grounds this in Scripture with an example of a godly person's generosity. Look at verse 9. He says this. He says, as it is written, quoting scripture, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is from Psalm 112, verse 9, and it's describing the generosity of a person who fears the Lord. That's the context in Psalm 112, verse 9. In fact, whenever you see an Old Testament quote quoted in the New Testament, it's really a good idea to go back and read that verse in its original context because the author in the New Testament has that whole context in mind. So Paul quotes this because this is an example of a person who fears the Lord, uh, who is righteous, giving generously and giving gifts to the poor. And that's exactly what's going on in the Corinthian situation with the project Paul's working on. And so God has blessed this righteous person in Psalm 112 so that he can be a blessing to others. He has enough to help those who don't have enough, the poor. And this is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to be like. When someone gives generously and cheerfully, God enables that person to actually give more and to be a blessing and to continue to scatter their gifts abroad. And God will be the one who provides them, the Corinthians, enough to give, just like this person in Psalm 112. And so verse 10 says, Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so he comes back to the imagery with which he started this, this uh, sowing imagery and planting imagery. And he says, God's the one who actually gives seed to the farmer. God's the one who, out of the, the reaping and the crops harvested, he provides bread for food. And so God is able to supply what you need and what you have so that you can actually be generous to other people as well. And so when you sow generously, you'll reap a large harvest of righteousness, whatever that looks like. And for each individual person, it's different. Uh, some people have different resources than others. That's why Paul says, you just purpose what you need to do in your own heart and give gladly and generously out of what you have, not out of, as he said in chapter eight, what you don't have. In fact, God will bless you because he knows you'll be generous. So 
you will be enriched, verse 11, in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Notice this, that since God is the one who supplies, and since he's supplying you so that you can be generous with every, with everything he gives, right, and use it for every good work, and God therefore will multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness, the result will be you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, that is for all generosity. And so one of the results of uh, using your resources for God's projects and in a generous sort of way is that God will actually enrich you in other ways as well. He'll enrich you in everything for all liberality because he knows you'll be generous, um, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And so God will enrich you um, and that enriching will be for all generosity. And the result is going to be thanksgiving to God. When he says, which is through us, he has this project in mind. And he's like, through Paul and the ministry of taking this offering to the Jerusalem saints, guess what? It's going to bring lots of thanksgiving to God as people receive these gifts and now have enough to get them through. And so Paul goes on to explain in verse 12, for the ministry of this service, that is this offering, the collection that he's, he's working on, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And so you get two results here, supplying the needs of the saints, that is the Christians in Judea, and you get the second result, many thanksgiving to God. And so this project is aiming at meeting people's concrete needs as well as bringing much thanksgiving to God. And Paul goes on in verse 13 to amplify this idea of many thanksgiving to God's, and he does so by saying, because of the proof given by this ministry, that is, the, the proof, the evidence of your genuine faith and your generosity, right? Here you are, Gentiles living in a major Gentile city, given to uh, Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. There's proof in that, evidence of your sincere faith. So because of the proof given by this ministry, they, that is the saints in and around Jerusalem, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. Notice what they're glorifying God for. Two things. For the Corinthians and all the others that are giving to this project for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. And in other words, to your sincere faith and faithfulness to King Jesus. That's the idea that, that uh, the gospel proclaims Jesus as Messiah, Christ, King, and you've obeyed him and you've come into that. And now you're demonstrating that by giving this gift. And they will also glorify God for the liberality or the generosity of your contribution to them and to all. And so God's going to glor be glorified through them because of you and what you're giving and what it represents about your faith and faithfulness. And not only that, but look at verse 14. It's actually going to affect the relationship from uh, the Jewish Christians towards them. And so he says, while they also, that is those there in Jerusalem and Judea, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, thanking God for you, thanking God for your faith, right? They yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So this is going to lead the, 
the, the Jerusalem brethren to pray for the Corinthians and for the Galatians and the Macedonians and others who contributed to this gift. They're going to pray for you and that and yearn for you, creating mutual love between Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. And that's one of Paul's really uh, deep hopes and prayers out of this project is this yearning and this this genuine like love that will will be developed as a result of this and that word yearning here in this context probably refers to like strong affection it's a word that refers to strong desire sometimes negative but sometimes positive and here it's positive that they're going to have the strong desire for you man they're going to wish they could travel to Corinth and meet you they're going to be so grateful for you and so mutual love will be built through this project. And then God, Paul ends this chapter and this section by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, Paul doesn't specify what gift he has in mind. What, what's the indescribable gift? Is it the generosity of the Corinthians and others towards the Jewish believers? Is it the unity between the two? Is it Jesus and the gospel, which makes all this possible? Is it all the above? And it probably is all the above. Um, so whatever, whatever exactly Paul has in mind, he ends with this just exclamation. He's just so grateful for um, his, his Jewish kinsmen. He's so grateful for his Gentile churches. He's so grateful for this opportunity for them to serve each other. He's so grateful for the mutual love it's going to demonstrate between them. He's so grateful for Jesus that makes all this possible. And so he ends this whole section with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Whatever, whatever God has given, God's generosity is so great that it's too great for words. And so as we wrap up this section, just a final reflection, and that is this, that we give because God gives. God gave his son, but God continues to give, as Paul's emphasized in this chapter. He gave Jesus, but he gives everything you need for every good gift and every work of obedience. And so God is the great giver. His uh, generosity knows no bounds, and his generosity is too great for words. And that's the reason we can be generous. That's the reason followers of Jesus, believers in God, live lives of generosity. Not only generosity with their funds, but just generous with their time and generous in other ways. We are givers because God is the one who gives to us. And so out of thanksgiving for God, out of confidence in God's provision, out of trust and loyalty to him, we give because God gives. Hey, thanks for tuning into this session of the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching project that's made possible by the generous support of people all around the world. People giving $5 here and $50 there and $20 over here. And they're the ones that literally make this ministry possible. So thanks a ton for your generosity to this ministry, modeling really the message of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you want to join the team of supporters and help this ministry continue to grow and impact thousands of people all around the world, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button and you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation right there. You can also support the ministry through the Study Hub. And you can give whatever you can afford through the Study Hub. And in both ways, all monthly donations, either through the Give button or through the Study Hub, give you access 
to all the extra bonus materials there inside the study hub. So thanks a ton for your generosity and for your support. May God bless you for it so that, as Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 9, you can be equipped for every good work.